Thanks for coming out tonight. You know, every week uh, we, during Lent, we have a speaker after Vespers, and I've been asked several times, Dan, where do you get such good speakers? And I say, all I do is pick up the phone and call Lou Cortese at St. Joseph Evangelization Network, and she makes the arrangements for all the speakers. So these are all provided by St. Joseph, uh, gratis to us. We have a free will basket in the back, so please be generous so we can support the ministry of St. Joseph Evangelization Network. Tonight, I'm really excited to uh, introduce our speaker tonight. Bob Gannon uh, is a Vietnam veteran who struggled with, with post-traumatic stress disorder, nightmares, and flashbacks for over 30 years until God performed a great miracle in his life through a novena to St. Therese. Bob also, also recognizes those who suffer from lack of love as children with the hope that they too will be able to understand how to fight their recovery. Bob has documented his story in his book, Never Give Up, which is available in the, in the narthex. And Bob was a speaker at the 2021 St. Louis Marion Conference, and he also speaks uh, at various uh, events uh, around the country. So first of all, please join me in thanking Bob for his service to the country and welcoming him to the AMBO to uh, enlighten us with his talk. All right, I sure appreciate being here tonight. Good uh, rainy drive from Rolla. But I want to thank uh, Lou and St. Joseph's Radio for having me. I've spoken on radio a few times, and what a great ministry. I know they're always looking for help out there. Can everybody hear me? In the back? Huh? No? Okay, how about that? All right. <clears throat> you know, in life sometimes we have a very traumatic experience and, and we pray for God for, for help or, or to get us out of that traumatic experience. And sometimes it takes years. In my experience, what happened to me, it was about 40 years later before God performed a major miracle in my life. I was on the verge of committing suicide. And a prayer to St. Therese answered my prayer. And uh, it's humbling. You know, we hear about miracles happening in people's lives. But when a major miracle happens in your life, it's really hard to believe. This is, out of all my talks, this is the most emotional one. A lady one time said, I've come to your talk four times and I cried all four times. And I said, don't worry, I did too, so. But anyhow, it was in the early months of 1966, 
I was serving as platoon sergeant of the 3rd Platoon Charlie Company, 1st Recon, in Chu Lai, Vietnam. I was 24 years old at the time. A large number of Viet Cong had been reported 10 to 12 miles from our base, possibly planning an attack on the base. And I was sent to that region with three other recon Marines to locate the Viet Cong. We're dropped in by helicopter and my way, made our way to a small mountain overlooking a large rice paddy. And on the south side of the rice paddy was a village. About the second day of our mission, about 40 Viet Cong came out of the jungle and began training in the rice paddy in front of us. I made a decision to call artillery on the Viet Cong. I had 16155 howitzers assigned to my mission. Most of the time you call for one round and you make a correction off of it because many times artillery is off. But I knew if I fired to call the spot around, and I knew if I fired the spot around, the Viet Cong would just disappear into the jungle before I could inflict any damage on them. I decided to make the decision <clears throat> to call command fire for, its, for effect, which means fire all 16 guns. The rounds fell well short of the target. Most landed in the village. And before we could get command, cease fire, relayed to artillery command post, the second volley was fired. And I remember hearing the faint sounds of 16 booms as the second volley was fired. And I remember praying, please God, don't let these rounds hit the village. There was a short silence and another 16 rounds hit the village. I watched in horror as the first volley hit and destroyed many of the farmers' homes. The second volley came in and more homes were being blown up. There was a large building that looked like a church or a school. It was hit and collapsed. There was a short, eerie silence. And then we heard the cries and screams of women and children. The sights and sound of what happened to that village would be permanently recorded in my brain for the next 50 years. I watched in horror as the artillery rounds pretty much destroyed the village. The rest of the day and all through the night, we heard the screams and cries of women and children who were badly hurt and traumatized and dying. Another time during the night, I heard a long, wrenching wail of a woman. She had probably just lost a loved one. That wail had been played over, over my mind a million times in the past 50 years. The next day after the utility rounds hit the village, we watched as they buried their dead. I was in a state of shock, and the thoughts were racing through my mind as how many innocent people were in those homes or that large building when those rounds hit. I kept thinking of the kids that were playing in the yards when those rounds landed and how many people were dead or seriously wounded. I was devastated by what happened. I had just killed a lot of innocent people, including women and children. 
I kept what happened to that village a secret. I never told anyone, not my family or my closest friends. For the next 50 years, I was haunted with nightmares, daytime flashbacks of what happened to, that, to the people of that village. And the wail of that woman haunted me to the point of having many emotional breakdowns and suicidal thoughts. I was medically discharged because of my injury during my second tour in Vietnam. And soon after leaving the Marines is when my nightmares really started. And at times, a little girl, a little girl about seven or eight years old would appear in those nightmares. And she would just stand there and stare at me. I tried to reach out to hold her. I wanted to tell her I was sorry for what happened to the village. But each time I reached out to hold her, she would disappear. I was always confused because she didn't look like a Vietnamese. She looked like an American child. When the nightmares occurred, the next day I would have daytime flashbacks and the sounds of what happened to that village and the Vietnamese people would play like a recording over and over and over in my mind for weeks at a time. And I would always go into a deep, deep depression. I didn't tell anybody what I was going through, not even my family. Through the years, I began to distance myself and isolate myself from my children and family. I always just wanted to be alone. I seldom went to any family functions or even visited my kids. I only slept about three hours a night. I'd go to bed around midnight and be awake about three o'clock in the morning. I built up the same wall of defense that we build up on the battlefield. No close relationships with anyone, not even my children. Like many veterans with post-traumatic stress, my coping mechanism was alcohol. Holidays were always bad, real bad. I think of the families and the men I had lost in Vietnam, the sadness these families have to endure on these special days. My mind would always envision a family sitting around a table, eating their meal, and there would be one chair, one blank chair, one empty chair, and sadness at that table. And I would feel responsible for their loss, if only, if only I had been a better platoon sergeant, if only I had been better. The village always haunted me at Christmas time, thinking of those families and the extent of some of their injuries, how many children were killed, severely injured or traumatized. I didn't feel I had a right to celebrate Christmas. I didn't want to buy, receive any presents. I just wanted to be alone. I just wanted to hide out. I was injured my second tour in Vietnam. I was in the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. When I found out two days after I was matter of fact off the battlefield, my platoon was ambushed and most were killed. I became so angry at God that day, I swore, I swore 
I'd go to hell before I'd ever kneel or bow to a God that didn't let me be with my men in that ambush. In August of 1969, I received a medical discharge. After I received a medical discharge. After I was medically discharged, I decided to attend Lynn Technical College. Three years later, I graduated with two associate's degrees, one in electronics and another in computer maintenance. I got a job in a pipeline where I worked for the next 33 years. After 33 years of service, I retired from my pipeline job in 2007. Without the problems of job to worry about, what happened to me in Vietnam haunted me most every day. I would have crying spells that would last for hours. I would relive those rounds destroying that village along with the screams and the cries of those innocent villagers. The guilt of not being with my men when they were ambushed. I would relive that ambush. Even though I wasn't there, I'd still relive it. I would hear the, the shots, the sounds of gunfire, and the screams of men being hit. In 2008, I was diagnosed by the VA with post-panic stress. They said I was suffering from multiple traumas caused by two tours in Vietnam. My PTSD and mental state was so severe, I could not remember what year or battalion or company I served in in my second tour. All I could remember is I was platoon sergeant of the 3rd Platoon. And I've been seeing psychiatrists regularly since 2008, and the treatment has greatly helped me deal with the many traumas and battle the demons that are in my head and help restore relationships with my family. I didn't have much of a prayer life at that point because the war caused me to believe that God didn't care about any of us. I blame God for what happened and also my injury. And for the next 30 years, I lived on the dark side of alcohol and anger, multiple affairs. And I asked God many times, why? Why are you keeping me here? Why didn't you let me die on the battlefield with my men? It was years later I was suffering from depression and guilt over what happened to the platoon. And I asked God why he had not allowed me to be with my platoon when they were ambushed. And that night I had a dream. I had a dream that I died. And the men who died in that ambush were there to welcome me. They had forgiven me what I could not forgive myself. They all looked happy. They had their arms reaching out, wanting to pull me up to where they were. It looked like they were in heaven to me. I know God allowed this dream because he felt my pain, my anger, and the survivor guilt. But I needed to go through this pain and anger so I could work with veterans today who struggle with the same type issues. After witnessing what happens on the battlefield, it's hard to believe that God cares what happens on earth. I'll never forget my first experience in war was in August of 1965. We made a landing at Chulai, Vietnam. I lost three friends that day. I witnessed a battlefield where 600 Viet Cong lay dead. And I remember thinking, how many children will never ever see their father? Our mothers or wives 
will ever know what happened to their sons or husbands. We passed through a village where the women and children had been caught in a crossfire between the Viet Cong soldiers and Americans. No amount, no amount of training, no amount of training could ever prepare you for the horror of what happened to that village. And I remember thinking, if you're a loving God, if you're a loving God, why? Why are you letting this happen? We came to another village that had not been touched by the war. All the women in the village were in a row on their knees. They were crying and holding up bits of food, and they were begging for their lives. I can't imagine what this day was like for these women, with the war being waged all around their village. Many of their husbands and sons were killed who had been forced to serve in the Viet Cong Army, and now foreign troops were entering their village. They were told by the Viet Cong that the Marines were called double dogs, and we would rape and kill everyone in the village, including all the women and all the children. As I was standing in front of the line of women trying to communicate, we're not going to harm anyone. One of the women tried to hand me her baby. The baby was only two or three months old, and she thought she could save her baby's life by giving it to me. That's been over 50 years ago, and I can still visualize this woman's face so clearly as she was kneeling on the ground in front of me. If I was an artist, I could paint that face today. She made such a lasting impression on me as she was trying to get me to take her baby. I still remember seeing that panic in her eyes, those tears running all the way down her face to the ground begging me in a language that I could not understand. But I knew what she was saying just as she was speaking English. She was saying, please, please take my baby. Please take my baby. I want to save my baby's life. I want to save my baby's life. As I looked at her with those tears running down her face, I remember thinking, I've seen enough killing today. I don't never, I don't never want to see no more. <clears throat> I asked God several times that day, where are you? Where are you? If you're a loving God, why? Why are you letting this happen? Why don't you stop this madness? Not all my memories of Vietnam are bad. I have several good memories that I treasure that helped me get through my rough times after the war. This is one of the good memories, a special memory of Christmas in Vietnam. We had a very bad several weeks on the battlefield. Out of a tune of around 35 men, we were down to 13. Not all were casualties of war. A couple men rode at home, rotated home, and we lost several to malaria. It was late Christmas Eve when we arrived at our base camp. 
There was not going to be no Christmas meal for us. Our Christmas meal was going to be our military rations. Christmas in a war zone is very depressing. Very depressing. You think about home, the Christmas meal, opening presents, going to church on Christmas Eve, and just a good time having with your family at Christmas. Like I say, Christmas is a special time of year, and we were all mentally down and seek wondering if we'd ever see another Christmas. I remember being homesick, and I wanted to be with my family, be with my children. And I knew I was going to have an emotional breakdown. As a platoon sergeant, you can't show any sign of weakness. I found a tree away from everybody, and I sat down against that tree, and I began to cry. And I told God, I don't want this job no more. I don't want to be responsible for everybody's lives and welfare. Always have to be tough on the, on the outside, but as afraid as everybody else on the inside. They all looked up to me as a strong leader. They had confidence in me that I would never let them down. They called me Sergeant Rock. Many times, I wondered how much longer I could hold up. I prayed every day for God to give me the courage and give me the strength to get through another day. You see, calm, more combat doesn't make you tougher. It begins to wear you down. I heard my name called. It was a Marine who had been looking for us for hours. He had mail for the platoon. I received a box of cookies from home. The box of cookies had been shipped from home about four weeks earlier. The box had been busted open. The cookies were stale and covered in red ants. We all sat in a circle, knocking off the, those ants off those stale cookies and eating our Christmas treat. And I remember one Marine saying, if I don't make it, if I don't make it, would one of you guys go by and see my mom? I know she's really going to take it hard. Me and my mom were really close and told her I loved her. Then another Marine said, well, several Marines then said, yeah, if I, make, if I make it, I'll go by and see your mom and I'll tell her about you. Then another Marine said, my daughter's only a few months old when I left home. She doesn't know me. If I don't make it home, would somebody keep in contact with her? And when she gets old enough, tell her about me. Tell her I was a good Marine. Phone numbers and addresses were exchanged and commitments to those who would make it home alive. Promised they would visit the families of those Marines who didn't make it home. We all told stories that passed Christmases until late into the night. Of all the Christmases I lived through, this is my special Christmas. You see, we had no material gifts to exchange, but we had the real Christmas gift, the love and the commitment that each soldier had for one another and their family. And every Christmas, I can visualize us sitting around that old, on that old bald hill, and I visualize the girl around us, 
I visualize a glow, glow around us. And I know God was there with us that night as we gave the only gifts that we had to give, the commitment to pass on the message of the fallen soldier to his family. You hear about camaraderie on the battlefield? It's a close relationship with your fellow soldiers where everything is shared. The phrase, I got your back, means I will give my life before I let my brother or sister down. We don't pray to God to spare our lives. We pray for the courage to do our jobs, just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm 79 years old, and I cherish that Vietnam Christmas. It's truly a special memory. You see, God sent Jesus in the world on Christmas with the gift of our salvation. And we all know the story of the crucifixion, and Jesus is a reason for our salvation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We say Jesus is a reason for the season. Do you ever think of what gifts you could give him at Christmas time? He doesn't care about the material things of this world, but a gift of our time and service for the kingdom of God. Such a gift of joy, the gift of joy in the eyes of an homeless person, the gift of a lost soul, the gift of caring for somebody in a nursing home or veteran home. What about our addictions to overcoming greed and selfishness and materialism? How about being a better father or mother to our children, or even a gift of service to your church? That's the gift God appreciates. I have another memory that I treasure. On one of our recon missions, we was about three days into our mission when we got a message over the radio that we were to assassinate a North Vietnamese general. He was traveling with several hundred Viet Cong soldiers. We got the coordinates of his route and what the, that the general would be traveling. Headquarters gave us a description of the formation there would be a small advance guard of two to five men, and after that, there would be a larger formation of Viet Cong soldiers. The third group would be a large group of about 200 Viet Cong soldiers, and the general would be with that group, and we would identify him by his uniform. I don't remember much of it, but he was going to have red on his shoulder pads. But it was a suicide mission. They were going to sacrifice my recon team for that general's life. Once we fired and killed the general, we'd be attacked by 200 North Vietnamese soldiers. There were six of us. We only carried about 240 rounds of ammo, three grenades because of all the communication equipment we carried. So we had no chance. As I explained the mission to the men, you could see the look in their faces when they realized we were on a suicide mission. Yet no one complained or said, this is crazy. We thought we'd be sacrificing our lives by killing the general, but would save the lives of other soldiers. We arrived about dark at our ambush position, which was in a swamp. As it got dark, we were attacked by mosquitoes, which were so thick they covered your face 
and they got in your nose. And they were so thick it, at times you couldn't hardly breathe. You could wipe your hand across your face and it'd be covered with dead mosquitoes and blood. We had mosquito repellent, but it never deterred those mosquitoes. When the sun rose in the morning, I looked down the line at the men. Their faces were swollen from mosquito bites. The Marine next to me, one of his eyes, was almost swollen shut. We didn't have to wait very long and two Viet Cong soldiers walked past our position. And every man, and every man slid his rifle to his shoulder. I remember looking at the sun rising in the sky, saying to myself, take a good look. Take a good look, because this is going to be the last sunrise that you're ever going to see. Then I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I'm not asking you to spare my life, but I'm asking you to give me the courage that I will need today. Please, Lord, don't let my courage fail me. If it's my time, if it's my time to die, give me the courage to go down fighting. Then I prayed for God to look after my children, to ease the pain of my death on my family. All of our missions were classified secret, so our families would never know how we died. We were all scared. All of us were scared. None of us wanted to die. But we were willing if he would save the lives of others. I know how Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39 says, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, O Father, if it is possible, take this cup from us, from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as your will. But we were blessed that General changed his direction or route. He was traveling. That's why I'm here today. <clears throat> we waited most of the day, but he never passed. But what an honor I've had to serve with men who were willing to give their lives for their country without complaining. Can you see the heart of Jesus in these young men, most are 18 to 20 years old? One night after 20 years of living this alcoholic and sinful life, I hit bottom. I was sitting in my truck and I began to cry. And I felt a hard thump on my shoulder and the voice said, it's almost over. And I remember thinking, how could God love me after the life I've led for the past 25 or 30 years? I've cursed his name so many times. But I could feel God's sympathy for my pity and my pain. Romans 5.8 says, God, God proved his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. My life began to change the very next day. God began removing obstacles that were holding me back, and I began to experience some spiritual growth. A year and a half later, I married a Christian lady. Her name was Judy. She made sure we went to church on Sunday, and I began letting God be the potter of my life. I served in inner cities and the church that we were attending while we were still living here in St. Louis. And in 1997, I transferred my job to Springfield, Missouri, where I got involved in a jail ministry for three years. And in 2005, I joined the Celebrate Recovery program, which I still serve today 
as a small group chemical dependency leader. Has God taken away all the pain of my past? No, he's not. I still struggle with my past life and some of the people I hurt when I was an alcoholic and angry. I still struggle with a very serious case of post-traumatic stress. But seeing the struggles, I'm reminded of the poor souls struggling with many types of addiction. My goal is not the material things of this world anymore, but serving God where I'm needed. I'm 79 years of age, and I know my time is limited on this earth. My goal is when my time is up that I stand before God to be judged, and he will say, you did become the masterpiece I created you to be. I grew up Catholic, but left the Catholic Church about 40 years ago. In 2014, my wife and I started sending the Catholic Church, St. Anne, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Springfield, Missouri. And I brought myself a rosary and praying a rosary almost every day. But it's still hard for me to pray because I still had anger at God for what happened to Vietnam. Even though I had been bringing the gospel to prison, jails, and celebrate recovery, I was still struggling trying to pray. I was still not trusting God to guide my life. I was bringing the gospel to everyone but myself. When I'd be praying the rosary, Satan would reminded me would be reminding me of my alcohol and all them sinful years and all the persons I hurt. But I kept on praying that rosary almost every day. And over time I noticed my anger at God slowly began to diminish. And Satan's influence over me while I was praying that rosary began to fade, began to fade. But what happened to that village in Vietnam haunted me almost every day. I still do some work for a pipeline company I retired from in 2007. I was working in Texas in April of 2015. I had to go to Walmart to pick up some supplies I needed for the job. I was staying in a checkout line when a small child started crying and screaming. And by the time I got out of that store, I was having flashbacks of the village and crying. I was listening to my truck radio, and I heard a guy had fell off a water tower and was killed. For the next three days, I didn't sleep. I had many emotional breakdowns, and I kept thinking if I could just climb a water tower ladder and let go, it would all be over. I began to have out-of-body experiences just if I climbed the top of that water tower and let go of the ladder. I could actually feel myself floating through the air. I was free of all the guilt, free of all the pain and grief. There would be no more nightmares. There would be no more daytime flashbacks. There would be no more hearing the screams of the villagers. And never again to hear that long wail of that Vietnamese, Vietnamese woman and wondered who I killed in her family. But I also knew I was in battle with Satan for my life and soul. I felt so alone. The only person who knew what I was going through was a little girl in my dream. And I, I was so alone, all I could think of was I wanted to see that little girl. And I remember saying, little girl, I need to see you. 
I need to see you. You're the only one who knows what I'm going through. Then God put a vision of that little girl inside my eyelids. All I had to do was close my eyes, and there would be her picture. The vision helped me for the next three days to get through the many emotional breakdowns and the temptation in my life. When I finally got home, the vision of a little girl on the back of my eyelids disappeared, and it's never appeared again. When I got home, I was very depressed and feeling alone. I told no one what I was going through. It's really hard for a veteran to talk about and relay his experience on the battlefield. It's just emotionally hard to talk about what we're going through. The next Sunday, my wife and I attended church, and I picked up a pamphlet of St. Therese, the child of Jesus. And she said in the pamphlet, my mission is to make God love, and I will begin after my death. She said I will spend my time in heaven doing good on earth, and I will let fall a shower of roses. And countless lives have been touched by her intercession. I start praying at daily novena to St. Therese for help. As you know, as Catholics, novena is a specific series of prayers for nine days. Saints can't perform miracles, but as Catholics, we ask them to pray and intercede for us and take our knees to Jesus. I was on the fifth day of our novena when my wife Judy and I took our horses to one of our favorite places to ride in Caney Mountain Horse Camp in Big Flat, Big Flat, Arkansas. It's a beautiful and peaceful place. On the evening of the third day, a group of about 10 of us were sitting on the porch talking and some were playing music. A windstorm came up and some it lasted about 20 minutes. And a short time later, a couple from Peoria, Illinois called the camp. They said they could not get down the gravel road to the camp because there were several trees blowing down across the road. Several of the men went out with chainsaws and cleared the road. And Rob and Karen finally got to the camp. They had a little girl with them whose name was Edie. Edie was a little girl I seen in my nightmares for the past 50 years. I began seeing her in my nightmares over 40 years before she was born. I could not believe what was happening. She was just as she was in my dreams. She was the same size, the same built, and her hair was even combed the same way. Even though I'd seen her in my dreams, I never believed she was a real person. I never told anyone that night what had happened. I had a hard time believing it myself. The next morning we went riding with Edie's mom and Karen, and I found out that Edie had a disease called tuberculosis cirrhosis, I think I spelled that right, which causes tumors on her brain resulting in seizures. I felt the need to hold Edie but was not sure how this could take place. When we got back from riding, my wife Judy was paying our bill as we were getting ready to head home. 
I was sitting on the porch and Eddie and her mom came up and sat down right next to me. It took all the courage I could muster to tell her the story of the village and seeing Eddie in my dreams and wondering if she'd ever believe me. After I told her the story, she just handed me Eddie. And as I held her, Eddie laid her her head on my chest. And the outline of her body began to get warm. And I knew at this time a miracle was happening. And I remember thinking God has sent a broken little girl to heal this broken veteran. That was on May 29th, 2015. And on that day, my nightmares ended. The flashbacks and sights and sounds of what happened to that village had been emotionally disarmed. Haiti's health has greatly improved. Shortly after this miracle, Lady was put on a new medicine and her tumors had been dormant in 2000, since 2015. This little girl still has a really positive effect on me. I still have trouble with de- depressions. I still struggle. And I can look at her picture and it'll give me peace. And when I spoke at the Marian Conference, I asked a priest, I said, how can a special need little girl have so much effect? And he said, because she's special, she's without sin. She's pure, and God can use her. About a month after the miracle, I asked Eddie's mom if she could send me some pictures. And she told me she had taken some pictures of Eddie, and a cross appeared in one of the pictures. We have these pictures out front with the desk if you want to see them. A lot of times we can put them on the screen, but we don't have a screen here tonight. But we have them out there at the desk. About three weeks later, we're chair riding, and he took a few more pictures, and another cross appeared in one of the pictures. The last week in November, we invited some friends, Steve and Susan, over for supper. And that morning after I finished my novena, to St. Therese, I reminded her of a shower of roses, and I asked, are you ever going to show me a rose? As we were eating supper, Susan says, let me show you a picture of this rose I took today. I learned later from Susan, the rose bush had been planted by a World War II veteran. He passed away, and Susan became the caregiver for that veteran's wife. She saw the rose bush was in bad shape and began to put banana peelings around the rose bush. <clears throat> the rose bush bloomed on November 29th, the same day I asked St. Therese if she's ever going to show me a rose. And that day, Susan took the picture. I was speaking at a church in Springfield, Missouri, and it put their picture up, and a guy said, there's also a cross in that picture, and in the picture of the rose, there's a wire cross. The miracle happened on May 29th, on the road was blue, on my six months to the day, 
my wife who since passed, Judy, and I were married on May 29th. And we were celebrating our 29th year of marriage. I still intend to celebrate recovery at the age of 79. I'm still working on my recovery. It's a lifelong mission. Now I'm involved in celebrating recovery as a small group chemical, pen, chemical defense leader at a Christian church in Rolla, where I now live. I believe God has a plan for all of our lives. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordain you to be a prophet to all nations. You see, no matter how great the struggle, how great the tragedy, how great the heartbreak we experience, God can use it for his glory. Thank you. Thank you.